Community News Desk, episode 27. I'm Mick Hanley. I'm delighted to be joined by Betty Ash, a community activist uh, here in the South Docks region uh, for many, many years. Uh, Betty, I suppose that introduction uh, is uh, broad in many ways, but you've been involved a, a hell of a lot. Uh, just tell us a, a little bit about your, your early years and where it all started for you. Well, specifically over fi- about 54 years, actually. And um, when my kids started school, I had the f- my first two boys are like Irish twins, only a year between them. So when they went to school, then I got roped into going on school trips, supervising kids to the zoo and stuff like that. <clears throat> then I got roped into the sewing guild. Uh, it was uh, run through cross care. Well, what is cross care now? But used to be the social service sewing guild, and uh, in Beggett Street School, and we'd have a shop on a Thursday. But we'd make pajamas, and we'd get underwear and socks from the Red House, and sell them to the parents. Very so that cool. was great, great help too. A great uh, uh, help to the mothers. So did that for 18 years. Then my kids were getting bigger. I got involved with youth clubs, youth leader. And so on. then it came more general. Like um, they built the places in Mackin Street and they had uh, a, a community room there. So Terry Vaughan, who was DCC at the time, <clears throat> God rest her, she's gone now a long time. She invited myself and Dolores to set up a club for seniors there. So then we were into a broader thing altogether. Yeah. And then I started to dabble voluntarily, of course, with placing people into jobs. And then we got funding for that. And in the meantime, we got the use and the lease for the building, the old boys' school, St. Andrews. And we became the resource centre. So with funding then... I was able to formally set up the job centre and uh, go about getting local people into jobs in their local area. So that was it in a nutshell. In a nutshell, yeah. yeah. And I know too as well, you, you, you know, at the time, probably going back many years, you know, there was a lot of people leaving the city, you know, both north side and the south side as well. And you were very much against that. You wanted to... Bring a community together, kind of, especially around the South Docks area. And yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about that time. And, and yeah, well, having, grown, having grown up in Pierce Street, we lived in a very densely populated community, very large families, very s- substandard housing, tenements, uh, 100 people living in one house, and uh, very poor conditions. And because we were a dockside community and industrial community with the Hammond Lane and the gas company and the port itself, dockers, all the high industry stuff, uh, education was never a a, a thing for us. Um, Low skills, low grade pay, 
plenty of work but very low grade pay and um but we jogged along nicely uh we i was very fortunate because my father was a butcher and it was just uh, i was born in 41 so that was just in the war years and things were scarce and because the bartering system we done fairly well because you'd get fruit and all sorts of stuff for, for the meat. Yeah, bartering. <laughs> and uh, we may have to go back to that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so then in the early 63, I was expecting my fourth son and um, uh, two of the tenements fell in Fenian Street. It's a, it's a well-known story. And two little girls were killed seven-year-olds who just made a communion. And after that, then, Dublin Corporation at the time swooped in and demolished all the tenements and moved all the families out. Now, people will say to me, where did they go? You name a place, that's where they went. Anywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere and anywhere, yeah, yeah. They even went to Ring's End, would you believe, and, <laughs> and Donnybrook. So um, that... It was dreadful time because we had were left with all this um, dereliction. Uh, industry, simultaneously, technology was starting to kick in. So jobs started to disappear. Companies started to move out to the suburbs, to the industrial estates. And so not only were we left with derelict, but um, uh, we were also left with people who had no jobs and no skills to sell. So um, a group of us that had a choice of staying in the area, like Dolores and Betty Watson and others like that, we felt we had to do something. And we had a very good curate at the time, Tom O'Keefe, Father Tom O'Keefe in Western Row, who brought in Sister Stanislas. And she was going around the country at the time promoting uh, social services that people would get up and fight back and have a voice. So following that, we went out to Klonsky to the um, Jesuits and we did a weekend, a residential out there and discussed the issues and how you can address these issues and what you need to do. And so we did that and then we got premises from Trinity in Western Row and we set up Western Row City Key Social Service Council. Now, it was minimal stuff because you couldn't do anything with the building. Mm. They were waiting to uh, uh, do a job on it anyway, Trinity. So there was minimal services. And at that time, like when we were in our heyday, we had approximately 22,500 families living in the parish of Western Row. But when the depopulation was complete... The two parishes combined were left with less than 6,000 people. So that was pretty traumatic. Yeah, yeah. And of those, a high percentage of them were older people with family uh, support gone, who were left uh, in, a, in a flux. So uh, the first thing we did was set up a day centre for them. Minimal service. There wasn't a lot you could do. And no money. No money, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we started to grow that, and um, at the time there was no fuss. Manpower uh, were there to give advice on jobs, and people had no skills. 
And um, so gradually that place started to grow. And then the, because the school wasn't required as a school anymore, because all the families were gone, we applied to the diocese for Elise for to build a community, uh, to develop a community resource centre. So then we moved into the building. Oh, really good. How are we going to fill this building? (laughs) So, and there was a lot of sort of distrust um, at the time because the city key people resented us. They thought we were getting services and funding that they should have been getting. So it was all that. And yet we were the same people, just two different churches, parish and parishes. So... We had to overcome all that. And gradually then we started to build up the services in the resource centre. And when we brought down the day centre, and we also had grinds with students in Trinity running at the time, and they were brought down. And then we looked, we had a bit of a a brainstormer and said, um, what can we address? Well, our objective was to have a one-stop shop where your needs were all your needs were met under one roof because of the whole demoralization and the the economy of the area like people didn't know where to turn they didn't know what they wanted they didn't you know it was a, yeah. it was a very difficult time so they needed to have somewhere stable that they could come in and seek help and get advice so we felt the one stop shop was going to solve that and we were covering a wider area, like we're across here in Ringsend, Irish Town. You know, we were were you covering this area as well as your own area, or was it just around the Pear Street area? Well, down here reluctantly. <laughs> no, it depended on funding, really. Yeah. When we started to get our act together and seek funding, like my funding for the job centre dictated Dublin Two and Dublin Four. Yeah. The youth service was Western Road City Key. The day centre was the same because um, it, it was di- dictated by a funding. So um, uh, so I always covered Western Road, uh, Rings End as well. And and of course, we were also um, uh, obligated to provide a service to Charlemont Street because that was Dublin too. But they didn't associate, you know, identify with us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but anyway, we were there if they needed, or they were referred to us. So, job centre was very successful over the years, and I built up. But the first thing we did when we moved into the building was two things: we um, got a training course from Foss. At this stage, Foss was in uh, was uh, the three agencies: the Youth Employment Agency, Manpower, and. Another one, which eludes me at the minute, became FOSS. FOSS, yeah. So, um, and FOSS then, there was funding available. There was, um, uh, uh, the training programs were available. So we used all of that. And that was very useful for us for soaking up the men, particularly the men who were unemployed and redundant. Mm. From the meat company, the gas company, wherever. Yeah, yeah. So the the pro we were the first to take on those programs. Had the gas company finished at this? We had well finished, yeah. Well finished, the yeah, manufacturing yeah, gas. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so um I think it's some of the water there, Betty, all right. <laughs> yeah. 
So as we built up and then the inner city partnership was set up. That was a fallout from the uh, social partnerships that Bertie Hearn set up. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was representing St. Anthony, St. Andrews on the um, Dublin Inner City Partnership for many years. So that gave us access then to investment funding. And I was able to build up a team around the job centre through funding. And then FOSS came up with this idea of a local employment service based on the method that was being used in St. Andrews and in Ballymoan. Because when I set up the job centre, job centre, you know, where do we, I, I just knew that if someone wanted a job, you went looking who would take them. Yeah, yeah. But I decided I'd go out to Ballyfermot and find out how they operated. And it was a very, very simple method, common sense. Take an unemployed person, build up trust with them, encourage them, nurture them and build up relationships with employers and convince the employers that you are going to give them a good worker. Match the job with the uh, unemployed person to suit the employer. So getting back to the first two things we did was we had the training programme of young people, our own local young people, doing research on the history of the area. And we met, that was our first exhibition we mounted. Mm. And the other thing we did, and this was to build up morale and give people a sense of identity and a pride in their identity, was the Southwark Festival. So uh, that was with two of our colleagues from the City Arts Centre, Sandy Fitzgerald and Una Seeley. And gradually that built up over the years and things became a tradition then. And still going. And... Um, then the next thing, job centres up running, what next? Now, I'm not sure whether it was the childcare or the youth service was one of them because one followed the other anyway. So then it gradually, like, things were being formalised and we had services, this. And, like, if you came in, if someone came in to me about a job, that wouldn't be their only problem. There could be a housing thing. It could be trouble with kids. Mm, that you'd yeah. have to contact John Toohey in Pierce Street, the liaison officer, to get help. So there was a whole family thing, because that's the way the area was demoralised, you know. It wasn't separate things. Everything was all in a mess. So the good thing was that you didn't have to send anybody anywhere. You could refer them to the information welfare officer. Yeah. For information, you could... Well, if it was a childcare issue, I always said... I want places for my people who can't work or do a childcare place, you know. So there was always ways and means of... And that worked very, very well, all knitted together. And then we became known as running a very good model. And then if FOSS or any of the government departments had visitors, they would bring them to St Andrews to see our model. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it was very well respected. Brilliant, brilliant indeed. You're listening to Rick Radio's Community News Desk podcast. I suppose moving on a bit, um, and we know that we had the Dublin Docklands Development Authority as well. You know, maybe some people say it didn't work, other people say it did work. I, I know any parts of it that I was involved in, in my previous role, mm. uh, it, it was very, very good. Uh, yeah. But you must have seen a lot of change around that time, did you? Well, first of all, 
being on the partnership was my first time for being involved in a, with agencies, sitting around a table, uh, discuss, discussing issues about the city with agencies. So I learned a lot from that. And I learned that you have to learn how to conduct your business. You have to learn how to articulate your needs. You have to learn how to compromise. Yeah. So it was a great learning curve. So it was a natural transition then to move into DDDA. And um, Dolores and I were determined, Dolores Wilson and I were appointed to represent Pier Street and City Quay. And from the get-go, we were very, very proactive in ensuring that our people got their share of the apartments when they were built, of the social agenda in relation to the training programmes, the scholarships, anything. We were very proactive and we were very lucky because we were representing an area that was smaller than the other areas, like on the north inner city, you had villages. You had yeah. East Wall, North Wall, Sheriff Street, Amian Street. You had all of them. And they weren't all singing from the same hymn sheet. Although we all supported one another with their, with their issues. But we were lucky in that we didn't have any of that. Yeah. When we yeah. went, we made decisions for our area. And that was... So we, we were very uh, proactive and very vocal in what, what our needs were. But did you feel that, you know, with, with all the different groups that it was all coming together for one purpose to make... It was groundbreaking stuff, Mick. Make, make everything We never... A, a the communities place. never yeah. had to say until yeah. the Docklands. Yeah. The partnership was the first. Then Docklands, communities were able to state what their needs were. But at this stage, we'd all upskilled and built capacity and all that. So we were well able to voice our needs. And um, it was groundbreaking stuff. The fact that you could go in and talk about issues affecting your community and be listened to and develop programmes to address them. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it was groundbreaking. Uh, unfortunately... When they made them, they didn't make the mistake. They bought the the bottle house site, and they paid four hundred forty million or something for it. But then the crash came, and if it hadn't, the crash hadn't come at that time, they'd probably be heroes today. Yeah, yeah. Pool Bag would be developed. Yeah. And they'd be heroes, but as it turned out, because the country was on at rock bottom. bottom the people who wanted to get rid of Docklands seen their chance. And they brought down Docklands based on that, that taxpayers' money was being wasted. It was never taxpayers' money. It was developers' money. Mm. But, but the whole social regeneration side was extremely well run very and very successful. successful. It, Jerry it Kelly was excellent. Unbelievable man. He uh, was. He was yeah, excellent. Yeah. And uh, like all the training... 
programs that they had and, and the way they looked after, I think, the, the children in the area, in the Docklands area. Like, in the Docklands hinterland, too, I went right out along the coast We here, insisted, and we insisted on the hinterland. Uh, right out to um, yeah. Marion College, like, even out that far. And I know on the north side, it was taken in. Yeah. We, well, we insisted. You yeah. couldn't have a line. Like, for instance, in our area, the line came down Fenian Street, Holmes yeah. Place. Well, the other side was the flap, big flap locks. Yeah. So yeah. you couldn't exclude them. So we said it had to be hinterland. Yeah, yeah. And um, so one side of Amian Street was included, but the other side wasn't. Was so we had to yeah. insist on that you could spread. Yeah. And um, and what you had, you had fresh blood. You you had, well, of course, it was Rory Quinn's brain wave to regenerate Docklands. And he set up a working group. Pat Magner was on it. Uh, Pat, Ma- I think Pat was a, a senator at the time, but very much involved in the Labour Party. And um, he set up a working group and um, they brought Sean O'Leary on board. And Sean carried out a consultation process, bringing all the community activists in Docklands together. Yeah. And that's how the first time I met Jerry Fay. And uh, people from over there, and because uh, they never took part in the, par- the partnership either. So uh, although they did benefit, but they never really took part. And um, so uh, that worked very well because then Docklands became a place of its own that we could all work together in the interest of Docklands. Yeah, you must have seen that the, the changes. Like I remember as a child. My father maybe going down to Wexford. We always went by the gasometer, and then the gasometer went, and uh, I think all the lands, those sheds along the the quays and all that, which were dilapidated and yeah. like the whole so many years, yeah, so many years, and then all of a sudden you started seeing these buildings over the years rise and rise, and we we see what it is today, Betty. a modern city, and, yeah, and, and it's still probably not finished, and we and nearly every hole and corner is getting worked and, on now, and, with, and within that we've seen, I suppose, in many ways, the silicon companies come in as well in Dublin Four, which have I suppose added again to it, yeah. Um, well, it's it turned it into a modern quarter of the city. Yeah, and we have been now. If Docklands hadn't been um, shut down when it did, we would have gained a lot more. But uh, unfortunately, um, if, if they wanted to, there was, there was you could see the money people could see that they were missing out. So that's that was the whole thing behind it. Now that's only my own view. Uh, they could see that there was money there that they wouldn't get their hands on. But I was saying the fresh blood, like they brought in, uh, through uh, Rory and the team, they brought in um, uh, Peter Coyne, fresh blood, a young man. He was Scottish, but he he was working in Thames Waterways. They brought him in as a chief exec. They brought Lar Bradshaw, who was only 40, I don't yeah, think he was yeah. even 40 then. As the chairman, new way of thinking, new blood. It wasn't the old all the old stock coming in with their usual keep them down, keep them down. So it was fresh. And you could argue with Lara with and you could argue with Peter, you know. So it was it was it was groundbreaking. And uh, but there again, at their time they were 
when it was seen that uh, we wanted it, well, not us in particular, but the trend was to keep Docklands low rise, yeah, eight stories. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and of course, the greed, no, we have to go up. Well, we know we have to go up now because of uh, the demand for housing, but the tall the buildings aren't filling the need. That's true, yeah, yeah. So it's not, they weren't built for to, for housing. They were built for investment. So, um, but it, it was a very exciting time. Apart from that, it was there was that time of environment for change, mm. for looking at the real picture, not to cover up, keep things below the surface. So it was a great opening up. And to be a part of that was very exciting. Really was now. It was a very exciting time. And you and you were right in the middle of it. I know that <laughs> very very much. So you you mentioned about the new blood and Peter and that coming in as well. There must have been some uh, over the years some amusing times and amusing meetings that you were at. Oh, where loggerheads. Is there any little <laughs> yes, stories there, was, there that, Well, I didn't <laughs> because that wasn't my modus operandi. Yeah. Now, yeah. Shani Shani uh, Lamb would have been the agitator. <laughs> and Charlie Murphy would have been the one shout. What the fuck? Of course, mention of, of of Charlie Murphy. Dublin Port were involved, of course, and are involved very much in 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 the area as our Dublin City Council as well. So you've got kind of three you know, state bodies in, in, in ways looking after the Docklands area. Would that be fair a fair point? Yeah, yeah. But you see, it was a bit more than that because when the area was derelict, um it again through Rury and that and we set up what was called the Grand Canal Docks Trust to try bringing the um the well we couldn't call them the corporate then the business sector and the um agencies and ourselves together to try and encourage investment into Docklands. And um, uh, then, of course, the partnership came along and that would be the board. But um, we were always trying to get to look at ways and then Rory came up with the regeneration. And uh, apart from not only um, did we uh, take part fully in 110% in DDDA, but also my role was to get to know these people, to liaise with them. Yeah. They weren't just going to be sitting at a table. We had to get involved with them on an individual basis. So that was my role, liaison. And uh, so I engaged with Waterways, with Dublin Port. And I'll tell you how we did all that. Uh, DCC and um, uh, Trinity. And um, then, of course, we had no access with the corporates coming in. We had no access to them. They were all strangers coming in. Yeah. So through the DDDA, we set up the Docklands Business Forum. And that was my area to maintain and continue with. And uh, so I that was my role. So uh, that to give us access to who was coming in how we could access jobs. It didn't manifest itself in jobs, but it, there was other benefits. Um, we, by ensuring that the corporate sector knew there was a community here, a living, breathing, active community here who cared yeah. and we wanted to engage. So there was benefits, like for instance, we, we got the junction at the corner of Mackin Street and Pierce Street from DCC and to for use, and 
Tim Darmody came in and redesigned. Uh, Nick Cloak came in and did the graphics. So there was always someone that you could call on the skills. Yeah. Pro yeah, bono. Yeah, yeah. So it did, it had great benefits in a lot of ways, not necessarily in jobs. But then the corporate sector knew the community were here, you know, and you had to be reckoned with. So then we start getting funding through the different uh, corporate companies. Yeah. And of course, you know, moving across to the coast here as well, we've seen the incinerator go up in recent years as well. I know there was a fund from that. I know. That's a sore point, Mick. Is it? That's a sore point because all funding that came to Ring's End stopped at the Arden Bridge. It stopped at the Arden Bridge. But you see, that's what happens when you're in the Whether it was the trust from the Link Bridge, whether it was the incinerator, uh, whether it was the Aviva, all stopped at the Arden Bridge. So you missed out. We never got anything. And yet I remember you inviting them down for breakfast on a bloomsday. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, um, it, the crowd who were first talking about the incinerator came to me. Yeah. For t- They were going to give us jobs in the, on the incinerator site. And did that happen? Yeah, it did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jim worked with them now. Yeah. And uh, he, we placed people uh, uh, working there before it was built even, you know, on the construction and then various things you know but um so they came to us first but then we never gained anything from the funding because the way that was set up you know but it was gas the two guys that came they were real mafia two little <laughs> fat men oh they were real mafia guys you know <laughs> but looking looking at the whole now of, of this whole south docks area now at the moment like for you walking around it like if you take a stroll around down by Grand Canal Dock or across the bridge or out at the front. The, the, the changes that have happened over your lifetime, you know, what, what, what's, what's your feeling of it as, as, as you do that? Pure, unadulterated pride. Yeah. Pride to have been involved, to play the role, however minor, uh, to be have been involved in the whole transition from being an industrialised community with no education, very little skills, moving into a new quarter of Dublin, uh, a technology and, and, you know, awareness to the schools, to use the TAP programme for the kids to go on to college and, you know, that progress. And you could see... You could see when we got the apartments for our own people, our own people moving into the apartments, whether it was the social or the affordable. You could see the whole morale, because we suggested, now I don't know, I don't, I don't say they took our advice, but we suggested to DCC, because the policy at that time was, we built the, the apartments, but they allocated them. Yeah. From the housing list. So we said, well, that's not fair. If we gave the time to building them, we deserve more than have not no say. So, of course, they set up the management committees, the managing associations, and we suggested that rather than taking people from the housing list general, that they would take the people on the transfer list 
in our community and put them into the apartments. Now, that suited because it was stability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You weren't shoving young ones in with babies and so on. You're moving older people in, stable, working, so on. And that you could sort of see they wanted to um, upgrade their life, their quality of life. So that was a great way. And then with the apartments, they work, they work very well because that stability is there. Mm. And you weren't getting people in, like, you know, the way they, you know, the way they shoved them into apartment blocks and uh, destabilised de blocks. That, that wasn't happening there. It was very stable from the word go. It's a good, solid community, as you say, all, all, yeah. all around. Yeah. You retired from, from St Andrews anyway, uh, I think, but um, you're still not what you would call as retired. You're still <laughs> involved with the Docklands yeah. Business Forum uh, yeah. as one of your outlets anyway. And, and what else? Uh, what well, else? I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm the last of the original committee of the Irish Nautical Trust. Very good. And yeah, yeah. I'm also on Poolbeg Training, which is the Rin Voyager, which we built. Uh, which we've covered here on the programme as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 with Dennis. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm on that. And I was on the uh, training workshop, but of course that closed down because the needs have changed. Absolutely, Kids are yeah, going yeah, into yeah. training workshops. Yeah. So I, I'm still, uh, one of the things we did when we were in the DDDA was when we seen the way, of course, Apartment living was total new cultural living for us. Mm, mm. And um, we, we, when we realised what was happening, that the city council would give a block to a housing association who would get funding from DOE down through DCC and they'd refurbish or rebuild, whatever. And after 20 years, the housing association wrote, oh, no. oh, we were horrified. Now, we'd gone to see the Garbles in Glasgow, which yeah. is where Peter Kine came from. Came from, yeah, yeah. And um, we'd seen housing associations, we went to Boston to see housing associations, how they were run. And we came back and uh, we sent for Brendan Kenny. What's the story here now, Brendan? How do, what do you have to do to become a housing association? Well, in a few words, in, in a few words, he said, not a law. <laughs> and then you get to keep it after 20 years. So we said, well, we're not having that because if a housing association owns them in 20 years, they can sell them. And we want them kept in public ownership. Yeah, yeah. So we set up a housing trust. So we have ownership of 76 apartments. Very good. And we, while we, we don't have any money from them, the housing association runs them, manages them, maintains them. But we have that holding ownership that they can't be sold. Because our people were told they'd be renters, but they were only in, had their arse on the beside the fire and they were, we want to buy. We said no, to be kept in public ownership. So we still own the apartments, but at this stage now, with Tuckland's gone and us getting older, Shani and myself and Dolores yeah, yeah. and Francis Carr. We're getting older and like it does it's going to eventually fade out and it'll have no meaning anyway. So we're looking to get a deal. Now you cannot have a concession in perpetuity 
for something to stay forever. You know that. Mm, mm. Governments change, policies change, people change. change. Yeah. So, but if we get a deal out of it, we'll be willing to hand over. But it has to be a deal that we're happy with. Yeah. Now, also, alongside the Housing Trust, we also set up a community trust. Because the idea was that it was a 15-year lifetime of Docklands. And we, there was great investment in infrastructure in here, this building, our building, all around Docklands. They invested in the infrastructure. So we said, what happens in 15 years' time if St Andrews needs a roof or, or um, the, what, uh, over the East Wall? They need something. So we set up the community trust. So with Docklands put in 1.2 million, and um, the idea was that the corporates would add to that so that we'd have that fund for the future with Docklands. But that didn't happen with Docklands. It didn't go away. Mm-hmm. You know, the lifetime continued because we're going to develop uh, uh, down in the peninsula, you know. So um, we also have the community trust. So that's still going strong. So we, we, we sort of, that's, but eventually because... There's no new people to come on. So eventually that'll die out. It you know. out kind of thing, yeah. But um, what's for the future for, for Betty Ash? Well, I hope I can continue. Now, I, I am slowing up a bit mobility-wise, but um, I'm perfect from the neck up. <laughs> it's from uh, down south, things are beginning to... Uh, fall apart but um, as long as I have my wits about me I'm only too happy to be to contribute to be involved in any way I can um, no campaigns so I'm not going protesting or <laughs> but uh, if I can um, be of any contribute anywhere I will and I am involved at the moment in in what's called a, a, a climate rising it's a group that was set up through Trinity and the Arts Council. I don't know if you heard of it. Did you yeah, hear about yeah, it? Yeah, I did. did well, I'm yeah, involved yeah. in that. It's about uh, addressing climate change. Now, uh, my interest isn't in being involved in any activity for climate change because my activity rests in my own house with recycling, with uh, lower wash temperature, keeping lights off, all of that that I can manage in my own home. But outside of that, I don't intend to get involved. But I can be there as a link if they need to be meet here and meet, get to know this one, be introduced to that one, a number for him, a number for her. I can be useful in that way. Yeah, yeah. And um, and also for people, the, the beauty of that group is there's only three of us, I won't mention names, who are grew up in the area, Rings and Pier Street. Yeah. The rest are all new dwellers, younger people who have these wider interests in climate change, yeah. in keeping the oceans clean, which is brilliant because we've moved on into a different arena. And they have energy and they have skills and they have education and they're interested in these bigger uh, issues. So I think that's great because, as I say, I was right person in the right time and my t- our team to address the issues of the time but there's a vision it has to be a vision for the future and they're the future so they're writing the history 
of tomorrow now. For the area. So uh, while I can be of help, I am not the one writing the vision for the future. <laughs> you know, I can I can help the vision by keeping the past uh, alive and useful for information wise and, you know, that sort of thing. But other than that, no. Uh, so I kind of won't walk away from anything. I'll stay involved stay active, as long as I active. can, yeah. Well, Betty, thanks a lot for coming in uh, today to tell us uh, your story, your life story of your work in, in the community. And I'm sure you're, you're hoping that the, the area, uh, the, the South Docks area, continues to thrive uh, for many years to come. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, we'll continue. It's it'll be it's it's difficult now because of the two two nearly three years of COVID. Uh, we lost momentum, not just us now in in this area or in Pier Street, but everywhere momentum was lost. So it's a matter of building up that momentum again, and getting back by our strength back and our skills and um, bringing people up. To believe again because it's very demoralizing anyone who is near retirement age dropping off you know retiring taking that early so you're losing good people you know that gave stability and continuity so we've got to build that up again we've got to put a lot of energy into that Yes, wonderful to talk with community activist Betty Ash today. We wish Betty all the best for the future. Well, that's all from the community news desk this week. If you have any events you would like to promote or just even to get in touch with us, send an email to rickradio2020 at gmail.com. That's R-I-C-C radio 2020 at gmail.com. My thanks to Dylan Clayton on sound and editing. We'll be back next Monday with more community news. From me, McCandy, take care and have a good week.